America has a promise to it. It's a promise that freedom and individual liberty based on a respect for virtues would create a place where anyone, no matter the color of their skin or their background or their income, would have the opportunity to pursue the American dream. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Jonathan Butcher. He is the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. He has researched and testified on education policy and school choice programs around the U.S. and co-edited and wrote chapters in the book, not so great society, and also co-authored a backgrounder on the Heritage Foundation on the topic we're going to talk about today called The Critical Race Theory, The New Intolerance and Its Grip on America. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Maybe for those listening who might, you know, have heard it, but they really don't understand what it is, how would you kind of boil down what critical race theory is? Critical race theory is, and it's described by those that are in favor of it, as sort of the gadfly of philosophy. It is meant to be critical of all other ways of understanding the world. Uh, In the early 1900s, there were Germans who were really uh, disaffected by the uh, and discouraged by the Bolshevik Revolution and what had been done to Marxism. And so they wanted to form a new understanding of the true and authentic Marxism. And they became known as the Frankfurt School. And they combined the ideas of Marxism, where the world is really set between only the oppressors and the oppressed. And of course, in the Marxist notion, that's an economic idea, right? It's the workers, the working class, and the burgessy. And they combine that with postmodernism, which is the idea that there really is no authentic truth. We, the world is what we describe it to be, or the facts in the world are solely dependent on the circumstances under which those facts exist. And it, it gets, you know, gets pretty ethereal from there. Uh, critical theory inspired uh, many in the United States because they they were chased out of Germany by the Nazis uh, in the beginning of World War II. They found a home at Columbia University in New York and inspired critical legal theory, which took the ideas of critical race theory, everything I just described for you there, and applied it to American law. And they said that American law is systemically oppressive. It is built to sustain the power of those who have power. So uh, it very, you know, very, very quickly kind of brushes against issues of race. And that then inspired critical race theory, which is the idea that we can only see the world through a racial lens. America is systemically racist, and we must uh, disrupt and, and frankly, overturn systems of governing authority uh, in the United States. Well, it really is like a cultural uh, Marxism, isn't it? I mean, it really just it's pitting the races against each other. So people that have heard, as you mentioned before, systemic racism, maybe unconscious bias, white privilege. You start hearing those buzzwords, buzzwords, your antenna should go up, shouldn't it? Uh, Absolutely. It's very much a worldview, right? It, It is not it's not just an academic theory. It's not just an economic or political theory. It is a it is a worldview. I mean, it's it's a way of understanding 
uh, you know, the world around us, right? And and when you apply that to education, for example, you uh, begin to see or recognize it in curriculum that is uh, either neutral or frankly hostile to the American experiment, to the idea that we should have something to share in our history and that we do have something that we should be able to celebrate in our history together. Now that's, you know, there's no denying uh, slavery. There's no denying Jim Crow. Um, but to say that America is irredeemable because of those things is, um, uh, it, it robs this generation and future generations from the idea that America is a uniquely, um, uh, special place that provides opportunity that you really you can't find anywhere else in the world. Well, I mean, and you you focus on education a lot, and you mentioned in the schools, but it's in the government, it's in the military, it's in the private sector. Probably people have heard of what's going on at Coca Cola about what they're forcing their employees to do. It really is uh, an intentional plan to really, you know. If you're white, you need to apologize for being such, even though God created you that way. I guess he made a mistake, according to them. But it really is, in the end, it really is uh, a looking down on other races because it's almost like I have to lower this race so that you guys are equal as opposed to, you know, making people, you know, battle in a free country to to succeed. And when you erase history or change history, right, nothing but dangerous stuff's going to come out of that. Well, and a big component that we haven't even gotten to yet is is really is what you alluded to just there in identity politics. That is something that naturally flows out of Marxism and critical theory. It's it's this idea that we must there the individual is not important. It's the group identity that's important, and they believe that we should group everyone into certain categories, and by doing so, certain categories of people are eligible for different social or even financial benefits according to their identification. And as you uh, develop that concept, that leads us into gender theory, that leads us into uh, intersectionality, which is a pretty pretty remarkable concept that you can identify with multiple categories and claim additional benefits and additional uh, sources of victimization because you are represented in more than one group. So if you are a minority and uh, homosexual, then you are doubly victimized. And so you have the authority to speak for that station or that group. And it, you know, it kind of very much robs us of um, individual agency and responsibility and, um, uh, this concept that uh, we are all Americans, right? And that being an American is what dis- is is this notion, right, that we share something and we can build a culture on top of that. Critical race theory and all of these different applications that we've talked about, they actually fragment that culture. They fragment uh, that notion of uh, of a shared experience. Well, and you mentioned the Frankfurt School. I mean, I think people that should find interesting is this has been lurking around for a while, just waiting for an opportunity. And, you know, with COVID, with the George Floyd and different things coming up, I mean, you know, Black Lives Matter, everybody kind of took advantage of this. It was kind of like the door opening up and like, hey, here's our chance. And they have not wasted an opportunity, have they? Well, and you're exactly right that we've seen this before, right? I mean, 
it, it, in the 80s and, and early 90s, it was called the Afrocentric Curriculum. Uh, it's been called multicultural education before when it comes to schools. Um, in colleges of education, it's been around, uh, you know, for, tw- you know, 20 plus, excuse me, 30 plus years or more. And uh, there is a, uh, one of the still most read textbooks in colleges of education is by uh, Paulo Freire, a, a Brazilian uh, Marxist who, who wrote a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which um, it, it's a handbook for people that want to be revolutionaries. And it, the funny thing about that book is that it actually doesn't talk about schools, um, but it calls those who need to be revolutionaries students and those who need to train the revolutionaries teachers. And somewhere uh, along the line, someone said, oh, we should use this in schools. And so we took this book about revol- of uh, being a revolutionary and overthrowing systems of government and, and have put it in colleges of education. Well, and, you know, you follow education very closely, and you mentioned, right, it's in higher education, but it's in secondary education. I mean, this is, this is really trying to be implemented across the board. If you look at uh, Biden's education secretary, I think its name is Miguel Cardona, uh, from Connecticut. He has been all over this, willing to bring it into the schools in Connecticut. So this really is trying to indoctrinate and change the way kids think so it meets the, you know, the, the ends justify the means. And he, uh, Cardona, actually was in Connecticut and uh, at the Department of Education there when they developed an ethnic studies curriculum that has all the elements of critical race theory in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously that'll be brought in on a national level, but it, it really is already on a national level. I mean, it was so bad that uh, before Trump left office, right, he, he actually outlawed the, the use of it in government, didn't he? That was a part of his directive about uh, diversity trainings in the federal workforce. Right. He said that there should not be these trainings that undermine the idea of you know, being uh, not just an American, but the idea that we should um, hold others accountable for things that they didn't do personally, but the group that they are associated with through identity politics, where it places them. Uh, Yeah. You know, and I think people need to look up Frederick Engel, Karl Marx, you know, just what is what is the foundation of this thinking really, really look like how it was developed in the mid 1800s? And how, you know, today it's embraced, as I mentioned before, by Black Lives Matter, even though they scrubbed it from their website. Uh, It really is to overthrow the economic system. Uh, We got people like Jeffrey Sachs who are promoting this, who, you know, unfortunately is a frequent guest of the Vatican on a regular basis. Uh, There are a lot of people pushing these these thought processes and 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 this teaching. But in reality, they are, you know, afraid to debate these things from what I've seen because they have nothing really to stand on. It's all smoke and mirrors. Well, and, and critical race theorists today still cite Marx. They still, at, 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 uh, uh, even in, in academic journals, they still point to the source of where critical theory came from and how critical uh, race theory developed out of that. So it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's very much... Uh, this idea that there needs to be revolution because victimization is everywhere, and so we must overthrow any system of oppression. And when you follow that logic, everything is a part of the system of oppression. So basically everything needs to be disrupted. 
Yeah, well, anytime there's conflict, you say, well, that's oppression. That's just not necessarily conflict. I mean, it's really the the attacks or the tactics of Saul Alinsky as a community organizer, right? It was class warfare he was using, you know, pitting one uh, the the poor against the rich. And this now we're just really pitting races against each other. Where in reality, people just want anarchy so that they can kind of fill the void with their new world thinking. And we have to remember the inherent contradictions, because when President Joe Biden gave his inauguration speech, he used the word unity almost 10 times. Uh, I think it was eight was my, my count. And if you're talking about unity, if the policies and the culture that's being supported are ideas that we really are not a nation, we're just a fragmentation of peoples, you're not creating a unified culture. You're not creating unity, right? You're driving people apart and having them dig trenches, right? And trying to protect things that they consider their space. That's, that is intellectually what's being done right now. Well, and yeah. So, you know, you try to create unity by disunity, right? It can happen. And then we say we want to get rid of racism by creating more racism against a different class and think, Somehow that's going to fix everything. I think if people really thought logically, this makes zero sense, and you can just feel, uh, you know, their their attempts to kind of overthrow, uh, you know, the way people think, the way people act, and and it really lowers them to a level where they can't help it. Right, their mind can't overcome this. They have to be told what to do because inherently they're bad. Well, and there's an example of this from higher education recently. I, I wrote a piece for um, a site called Inside Sources that talked about what happened at Smith College in 2018, where a student, a minority herself, accused a number of others at the university of discrimination. And so Smith, being a you know pretty left of center right uh, school, rushed and got a an investigator to investigate all the claims and everything that that was accused and put out there and found that there was no evidence at all of discrimination. But the president of the, of the college, as well as CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, all, all rushed out at the time that the accusations were made to say, oh, this is another example of systemic racism. This is another example of discrimination. And then when it was found that those weren't true, there was no concerted effort to actually talk about justice and to make to have justice done to those who were accused but are innocent of what was uh, what they were accused of. If they were really interested in justice, then that is what should be fixed, right? But if you're only interested in exercising social power, why then it's easy to make accusations, right? It's easy to to, to try and accuse people, and no one wants to be accused of, of being guilty, right? I mean, no one. It's it's easy to get them to go along with. Uh, an accusation of of systemic racism if you if you would be accused of being guilty just for saying something like that. Well, I think that that's that's a really good point. And you bring it up in this backgrounder that I hope everybody goes on the Heritage Foundation. Uh, again, it's called Critical Race Theory: The New Intolerance and Its Grip on America. But you go into you know how entertainers, right, actors, critics, and others are using their influence in Hollywood to push this through the entertainment. You mentioned. Uh, you know the news, the government. I mean, if you want to see a co- if you want to see uh, a coordinated effort, read this read this uh, backgrounder because you guys put it all together. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's, it is true. I mean, Hollywood is, is and, and the mainstream media are definitely places where this kind of cancellation happens all the time. It just happened to a writer at the New York Times. Uh, who has, uh, you know, said something in the course of a conversation, you know, off the record, I think, with students and, you know, was later, you know, fired for it or, or canceled for it or, or pushed out. I mean, it, this, it, it happens, you know, over and over and, and over again. Well, and it's going to continue to happen unless people stand up against it. And, you know, part of the thing, how can, you know, mom and dad are listening, maybe grandma, grandpa are listening what should they be looking out for to make sure that this isn't this isn't part of the curriculum in their schools? Is there any kind of red flags that they should really kind of hone in on? And when they hear it, the alarm bell should go off. So I think and, and, and school curriculum is a, is a very important place to be involved. I would say first, with students being at home, having been at home for so long in so many places around the country, uh, be aware of what your students are being taught. I mean, be aware of what's going on. Um, in your child's, um, you know, online classes, what they're bringing home in schoolwork, and uh, be prepared to be informed so that you can talk to your child's teacher when they go back to in-person learning if they haven't done so already. And then secondly, I would uh, demand transparency. Uh, talk to the teacher, talk to the principal about being, uh, them being transparent about what is taught in the classroom. I think that everything that's taught in a public school classroom, uh, all of the curriculum, the textbooks, the assignments should be made available to any taxpayer who wants to see what's happening. It shouldn't be something where we only find out about it when a child brings it home for homework and then someone starts talking on social media and then a reporter gets it and makes a headline. Like, we should know this beforehand, right? So we can tell a, a parent that we are, um, tell a teacher that we are not satisfied with uh, the way that police are being portrayed in class or something like, you know, to, to take an example. Um, and then I think, uh, I think the third thing is for policymakers. I think policymakers need to recognize this moment in time where uh, the public school system has simply not provided uh, a quality experience for students around the country. Um, during the pandemic. And uh, as many policymakers are back in session right now, uh, the topics of private school scholarships, education savings accounts, uh, charter schools, um, these are all vehicles at their disposal uh, that they should be using in their states to create more quality options for families. Well, and, you know, go to school board, school board meetings, try to get on the, you know, the uh, the school boards. You know, we had in San Francisco and, you know, I think they backed off a little bit, but they were more concerned about changing names of schools like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington than getting the kids back in the classroom. I mean, it's all about pushing this narrative at the expense of our kids. And that's a great example. They had a school renaming advisory board that was assembled, and that advisory board put together a set of ideals that they wanted dem- they wanted reflected in the names of schools. And it was things like uh, being respectful to Mother Earth and being, you know, a humanitarian and and different things like that. And then they went ahead and canceled Abraham Lincoln from the name of a high school. They scratched off George Washington. Um, which, by the way, George Washington is known as the father of American agriculture and has a national forest named for him. Um, Abraham Lincoln's contributions to humanity, I think, should go without saying. Although <laughs> you would really, hope. If he was written off, I guess, I guess it does need restating. Um, so, yes, I mean, look, the naming of schools is a reflection of the values of a community, 
right? And that's what public schools have, have really always been meant to be. I mean, that was, that's a purpose for them. It's a civic purpose for them to uh, reflect the values of uh, the communities in which they're located. And I think when you take these uniting ideas, right, that there is something that we share in American history and you say, uh, no, right, it's, it's climate change or it's um, diversity or multiculturalism. Um, it's not a shared American experience based on freedom and uh, the ability of individuals to create a civil society. Well, then, you know, once again, we're back to this conversation about fragmenting, fragmenting the nation, right, and not allowing people to create a robust civil society in which we can raise the next generation well, and when you fragment society, it, there's a vacuum, and then that's where people who prescribe these type of things and these kind of theories feel like they can kind of come in in the breach and, uh, you know, get even more of a stranglehold on society. It really is a reminder to all of us that we all were created with an innate dignity. The Lord didn't make mistakes, whether you're black, white, whatever, whatever color you are that we're all created equal and everybody would agree that when you judge somebody based on the color of their skin, that's bad. We need to see everybody with the dignity that they've been given, but to, to have to lower that dignity, like Coca-Cola having people, you know, apologizing for being white is ludicrous. Well, and it's funny that you bring that up because in studies of the effectiveness of diversity trainings in schools and in businesses, there's actually widespread agreement among researchers that these diversity trainings and anti-bias trainings don't work. <laughs> They've actually surveyed hundreds of these studies looking at the effectiveness of these programs and found that they are not effective at changing people's attitudes and behavior. Uh, in fact, uh, there was one report that was written by uh, someone at Harvard that said this idea of colorblindness actually is more effective than trying to encourage a multicultural or diverse perspective or attitude. And, uh, and that's significant because critical race theory, critical race theory in particular, does try to uh, um, uh, criticize the civil rights movement. They say the civil rights movement didn't go far enough, and they criticize these concepts of meritocracy and colorblindness. They say they're not enough. They say there has to be this inherent admission that we are all guilty, um, except those that were victimized, right? And so that that strikes a, a divide straight down the middle of culture uh, right there. Well, look, if you're fat and you hang around fatter people to make you feel thin, that doesn't accomplish anything. Hey, go on a diet. I mean, the way they measure, it, it really makes no sense, and it doesn't give anybody the impetus to be better, which we should all try to strive to be the best we can be and wh wherever we are. It just, it's such a ridiculous theory that so many people have bought because there really is an end game. And, it, and you know, you, I think you've stated it quite well, you know, and there's a coordinated effort to, to really make this happen. And unless the Joneses and the Smiths and everybody else in, in common America stand up, they're just going to keep plowing forward on this. Well, that's right. I mean, we have to remember that America is built on an idea, right? America has a promise to it. It's a promise that um, freedom and individual liberty based on um, a respect for virtues would create a place where anyone, no matter the color of their skin or their background or their income, would have the opportunity to pursue the American dream. And that promise uh, has, uh, you know, 
it wasn't always fulfilled, right? We didn't always live up to it. Um, but especially coming out of the civil rights movement, uh, we've, you know, especially today, we have made great strides towards this idea that there is an American character. There is something that we can be uh, proud of and something that we could, sh- that we need to share. That concept of a promise, right, and of a potential is, um, is so important. And that's one of the things that critical theory, being the gadfly that it is, um, is uh, by definition uh, very critical of. Well, and I, I saw an article today by uh, Chris Rufo, who, uh, and I want to get your just opinion. I don't know if you've seen it, but he he talks about it almost like they're overplaying their hand, right? He, the title is "Critical Race Fragility." That it's it's getting to a point where it, it's so absurd the way they're going that they're going to start losing support. Are, have they played the end of their string? Do they still have you know, unfortunately, more to go? I think there's probably always um, uh, deeper depths to which we can sink, right? Um, I think that <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no end there's no end to uh, to human imperfection. Um, I think when it comes to critical critical theory, it, it's it's had some some staying power, and I think that's because uh, there hasn't been an appropriate um, uh, method of teaching civics and uh, American culture in in the U.S. for many years. I mean, I think that. Um, Again, it's much easier to feel guilty uh, than it is to say, uh, you know, to, to take a um, to step back and say, look, these were difficult, uh, uh, difficult problems, and were not done. It was not done right, right? It was not solved the right way. Reconstruction went awry, for example. It's hard to have those conversations because you have to know history, right? You have to know what happened and what did go wrong. And I think it's easy to simply be dismissive and say, well, we should all just consider ourselves guilty, and then. And then feed, um, uh, seed away this notion of a shared experience. So, um, uh, but but to the question, which was about, do I think they've overplayed their hand? I think they're the more bridges that they burn. That is, the more people who uh, are seeking true justice, who find that it is nowhere to be found. I think they will continue to lose their power and their influence. Uh, the Smith College example is one, right? Yep. There were people that worked at Smith who had to leave their jobs, right? And their lives were ruined by those accusations. So the more, you know, the more that that happens, sadly, um, the more that I think people will begin to see critical theory for what it is. Well, we're down to about the last 30 seconds. It's been a great conversation. How can people find what you're doing on the Heritage Foundation? What's the website so people can kind of really educate themselves on this? Sure. So it's heritage.org, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jm underscore butcher. The the backgrounder that uh, Jonathan and Mike Gonzalez put together is called Critical Race Theory the new intolerance and its grip on America. I think everybody should read it because if you don't, kind of shame on you.